Well, hello, listeners, and welcome back to Bible Love. We have a real treat for you today, and Alan will introduce him in just a minute. But um, we all woke up to the news of unrest and war in Ukraine, and we thought that we would pray for those dear folks there. This is a um, prayer written by Archbishop Justin Welby and Archbishop Stephen Cottrell. The Lord be with you. Also with you. God of peace and justice, we pray for the people of Ukraine today. We pray for peace and the laying down of weapons. We pray for all those who fear for tomorrow, that your spirit of comfort would draw near to them. We pray for those with power over war or peace, for wisdom, discernment, and compassion to guide their decisions. Above all, we pray for all your precious children at risk and in fear that you would hold and protect them. We pray in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Amen. We are taking a break between 1st and 2nd Samuel, and each time we do this, we bring in a special guest to just talk about Scripture in general, and today might be the most special of special guests, because today is... <laughs> it's a pretty special guest. Who's coming? Yes. <laughs> coming? <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> uh, this is the Right Reverend C. Andrew Doyle, Bishop Andy, Bishop Doyle. Uh, he is the guy you can blame for making me a deacon. Um, he hated it so much, he offloaded making me a priest to Bishop Fisher. So you can blame Jeff for that. My hands, um, they burned a little bit. They did. They're like, oh. Yeah. I bet they did. You're like, my hands are on fire on this They're bald head. <laughs> so Bishop Doyle is, are you the ninth Bishop ninth. of Texas? I'm okay. the ninth. I, I had to memorize this, right? You made me pass a test um, on this as part of the ordination process. So I used to know all of this, but... That was a long time ago. Yes. The ninth bishop of Texas, which is a really big diocese. The first couple of bishops of Texas actually died on the job because it's a long way away mm-hmm. from one church to another. And so he oversees um, lots of things in kind of the southern part of the state. And um, he's written a lot of books. He's been very important in my ministry. And I also consider him a friend. I haven't seen him in a while. So I'm really excited about this. Thank you, Bishop Andy, for joining us today. Uh, thank you. And thank you, Mary Balfour. It's great to be with you all. Yeah. Well, we are honored you're here with us. Um, so listeners, as you know, we kind of take this little break in between. We just finished up the first book of Samuel and we'll get into second Samuel. And we love to talk to people about scripture and what it's meant to them in their lives and different facets of their lives. And so um, Bishop Andy is a lot of fun. He's a great bishop, but he also has a great personality. And so I know he's going to come to us today with a lot of good thoughts um, and I hope some humor as well um, about how scripture has been a part of your life. So maybe start off in the beginning, not necessarily the bishop part or even the priest part, but what was scripture like for you when you were growing up and all that good stuff? Yeah. So, uh, 
I grew up in some, you all probably don't know this, but my dad was an Episcopal priest. So I grew up running around the church, visiting the church on Saturdays while you got things ready. And um, the church itself was always very much home for me. And in the 1960s and 70s, um, the what, what I remember as kind of my earliest memories of church were Sunday school, felt boards, uh, shadow boxes, uh, all focused on uh, the stories of Jesus or the stories of the Old Testament. So um, I probably uh, would say that my engagement with scripture began as narrative storytelling and not as engagement with the book or the Bible itself. And then I was actually, thanks to a few questions, so I could think about what I thought about all of this. I could think about what I thought. Um, I have to say that probably one of the most formative pieces comes uh, because of the rootedness in the Book of Common Prayer that I grew up with, which contains a ton of scripture. And so what we call in the Book of Common Prayer, those comfortable words uh, now found in right one, uh, you know, come unto me all you that travail and are heavy laden, or the piece about the um, first and great commandment, uh, which is at the beginning of the service. So, So probably my second engagement with scripture really wasn't through, again, the Bible, but rather through the tradition of the Episcopal Church and its own liturgy and the formation of liturgy, uh, which is deeply dependent on Scripture. So while you worship, you're actually learning Scripture, though you might not think that's what you're doing. But um, I was just thinking in the midst of everything that's hitting the news in Texas over the last 48 hours, including the Ukraine, Uh, those pieces stand out perhaps maybe more than others. Well, I'm really glad you said that because I do think I'm like you, I grew up cradle Episcopalian. My father's an Episcopal priest. And I do think Episcopalians get sort of a bad rap of we y'all don't know the Bible, but that's not true because the book of common prayer is so full of scripture. And we do hear that so often in our, in the election and we hear so much of it. So I'm really glad you kind of, saved us Episcopalians there for a minute, because I I don't think that I think we could do a better job in some places, you know, and there's always room for growth and improvement, but you did learn it. It just might've looked differently than opening up, you know, the actual Bible. Well, and I, I wish I had the skill that Alan and many others have of actually, I mean, I like know where the books are and stuff, but actually know the verse, you know, to be Mm -hmm. able to win the sword drill of, Uh, you know, where, you know, so I always have to go through that work of now, where is that piece? And, uh, and I wish I had that skill. Just, it just wasn't part of my upbringing in the, in the same way. Yeah. Um, well, and I do want to t- go a little bit back to what you're saying a minute ago. Ukraine, there's a lot of hard news coming out of Texas right now. We didn't know if you wanted to talk about this or not, but, um, you brought it up. I mean, how do we let scripture envelop us in these times of hardness and worry and, um, you know, whatever the issue may be, you know, do you have a thought about that? Well, I think it's very complicated for people because a lot of times the hermeneutic, that way in which somebody picks up the Bible 
has already formed the answers of how they'll approach an issue. Uh, and uh, regardless, I mean, we could make it any issue today. Right. Uh, and we could talk about there's going to be a big debate about war and just war theory and all of the theologians will kind of lean towards one another on that. But so much of that uh, begins with how one approaches scripture and uh, you know, the uh, Jesus in dealing with the lawyer um, offers a pattern for me. That's important, which is halakhic, a halakhic form, which is if the first and great commandment, are the first and great commandment, then everything should be read through those. Uh, In other words, that if the passage I'm looking at doesn't draw me closer to God and to others, I'm probably not reading it correctly. Mm. Uh, And I need to step back and ask the question, well, how, what does this mean for that? And how does this engage? And, um, and I think that's an, that's just a difference. And so, I'll, I typically come at, at these passages or these political issues from the first and great commandment and would, would say, too, that uh, Augustine uh, had, uh, uh, a good, offers another good piece of the hermeneutic, which is, you know, where does Jesus go? What does Jesus do? Um, and that's what the church should do. So if... Jesus is going to sinners, the church should go to sinners. If Jesus is welcoming those who are despised by the public, then the church should welcome those who are despised by the public. So that, you know, if there's that we all, we are actually offered for the church's perspective anyway, not just a hermeneutic of how I personally might read scripture, but our tradition offers a way of reading about what the church's response should be. And sometimes that's really countercultural and should make us, should make us uncomfortable. Should make us. Yeah. It makes me think I'm reading this book right now. It's a great title. If God is love, don't be a jerk. Um, Written by. You need to link that Alan. It's great. But it, it gets at this, right? This idea of our call to love. Like we can have stances on moral issues and we can disagree about those stances. But God doesn't call us to be angry or God doesn't call us to judge, right? Like there's actually scripture against that. God calls us to love. And so this guy, this author makes the point that even if a Christian believes someone is living a life of sin, ostracizing that person, judging that person, condemning that person goes against scripture. Right. Even more so in those instances, we are called to love. And so what and so this guy is a progressive and has progressive views, but he used to come from a different camp. And so he's thinking, even if I think this person is living life wrongly, even more so am I to embrace them with love and let them know that even in their sin, Christ died for them and Christ loved them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we so get twisted into thinking like I have to be the moral arbiter. We do. And I I loved how you said it, Bishop Andy. Like, if we're re, I haven't really heard it in that form, the way that you said it a minute ago. If we're reading it in a way that takes us away from loving people and loving God, then we're reading it the wrong way. And I, I think that is like 
thank you, that answer right there. You know, I think people want to make things so political. And so, you know, and I don't believe in that. I believe in the way of Jesus Christ. How would Jesus be with these people? How would Jesus love these people? That's how, that's what I want to do. Right. That's how well, I want to we're trying to figure out, right? I right. mean, it, and, and I would say all of us are. I mean, I think, I think there is a, a across the various views on all kinds of things, I think it's disingenuous to say somehow people aren't trying to be faithful. I actually think they are. Yes. Um, so often, though, we get caught up on all sides by the politics of the situation, which has a completely different hermeneutic. That's right. Around a political party, political agendas, power, authority, all kinds of things that are different than what the scripture invites us uh, to be about. And so... So I do, I just think it all, I mean, and here we are now, I don't know when this is going to air, right? But last Sunday we had the turn the other cheek, uh, passage and, mm-hmm. and here we are, uh, facing, uh, the Ukraine invasion, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. So what is that? How do Christians then speak? And it, and it makes us uncomfortable to do that. It's very countercultural to not enter into a quid pro quo, quo exchange economic faith and political engagement, which is, you know, oh, well, we're, we need to do this because, well, we'll, the first response should be from the Christian. Well, this is terrible. This is like, this isn't what we should do. This isn't how, how they should solve their problems with the Ukraine. Like there's, we actually have a whole moral theology based upon this work. And so for me as a Bishop, I think, uh, it's not just the scripture, but it's how I read the scripture that's essential um, to to the work and leadership. And it means being unpopular, uh, which I don't like. And it means um, uh, taking stances I might not normally take. Right. So can we talk about that just a little bit? Because I think this leads into the scripture. You've, you've mentioned it twice, the uncomfortableness, right? I think... I love that in a lot of ways because I'm like you. I'm sure Alan's the same way. We want to be popular. We don't want people to be upset with us. You know, we're Alan and our rectors of churches. We don't want anyone coming in our office complaining about this or that. But that's part of this work, right? Not just as priests and bishops, but as followers of Jesus is that uncomfortableness. And I can see in scripture over and over and over and over again, this uncomfortableness, right? I mean, it's, it's been there from the beginning. <laughs> Why are we now in 2022 seem to be kind of like, I don't want to be uncomfortable. Because we don't I'm, like it, it. Right. And the scripture tells us we're not going to like it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we have an image of Moses who says, uh, no, you know, I kind of stutter. I'm pretty sure you got the wrong person. I mean, you know, that, that, our actual approach to God is to seek comfort rather than uh, discomfort. And, um, you know, when we read stories like the golden calf, we see them, Oh, that's terrible. But the people are just seeking comfort. Yeah. Moses has been gone for a really long time. They're out in the wilderness. They haven't had a word from God. So what do they do? They, find something that they know is comfortable and offer themselves some satiation for that discomfort. And the scripture is full of those stories, but we, we don't want to think about that. I think we play into this idea that 
sweet little baby Jesus is all, it's all sweetness and light and that God doesn't want discomfort from us. And yet, I mean, what's take up your cross mean? I mean, are we, I mean, it's maybe we're so distant from crucifixions that we don't know what that actually means. That's a terrible thing. That's awful. So, so we can't, so, so actually in our dismissing, in our seeking it, we actually move away from the kind of deep theology I think the scripture offers us. Um, yeah, I agree. Thank you for that. Um, you know, these conversations always, we have sort of plans in our minds about how we want these to go. And then sometimes they go into the direction God exactly wants us to go in. And I was thinking about this this morning with Ukraine, with the transgender issue in Texas, you know, all of that stuff. And I, 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 I know that scripture is there for us. And I always want to look at it in a comfortable way, like you said, but what's wrong with being uncomfortable, you know, because it's full of that too. And so I'm really grateful for that. So talk to us a little bit more about now that you're a big bad bishop and a big old diocese. Big old diocese. Uh, <laughs> the big I'm old diocese like, That's of great. Texas. I need a bumper sticker. Big yeah. bad bishop. Triple B. <laughs> triple, triple B. B. <laughs> um, tell we need me. somebody to help us. Call the triple B. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to take claim for that one. You should. Um, like hashtag triple B. That's what I'm going to say it. So get, or don't you have Dyson convention this weekend? Be, should, start that off with them. That's right. Um, Triple B tell, said. Right. So you, I know, preach pretty much every Sunday, and you're walking into these churches that you love, but they're not your parish, right? You're not worshiping with them every week. You are visiting and seeing, and I mean, they are your parish. I don't know how to say that, but you know what I mean. You're not with them every day. So how do you go in there and preach to these folks that may not know you? Um, and maybe in some of this uncomfortableness, where's the scripture? How does the scripture relate to you in that? Talk about that for us. Well, I mean, first, uh, I would, I mean, first I would say that I have, I do have an understanding of a, preaching aesthetic that says that the work that I do in preaching is about coming alongside the living word and allowing God to speak to me and speak uh, to me about the words I'm supposed to say. And that sometimes uh, that, I would hope all the time it reflects the glory of God for the purposes of God. Um, sometimes maybe it reflects a little less and maybe a little more Andy, but I think that's the edge you're walking as a preacher is to understand that you're not preaching. You're, you're giving voice prophetically every time you open your mouth, uh, on God's behalf and that we're sent. I mean, we are all of us, not just me, but all, all Christians, all baptized Christians are sent. Uh, that's, that's, you know, literally the meaning of vocation to be sent as God's speaker. 
uh, on God's behalf and to speak for God. That's the root of that term and that we're given that vocation in baptism. So perhaps I'm more conscious of it, but I would think you all do too. We just don't maybe think about what's happening intently, but I, I do and think that that's part of what's going on. And, and I think that's why sometimes people hear, sometimes people will hear well, and sometimes people don't hear well, but mm-hmm. you can tell when something has leapt out of the scripture through you into the world and touched somebody's life that was powerful and true. And you probably didn't think you were going to do that. You had no, you weren't preaching to that person. And I would yeah. think you all have that same experience that I do. The other thing is, and, and just, this is just about being the Bishop of Texas is uh, I've just been around for a really long time and I grew up here. So I was kind of, you know, um... yeah, I was kind of giggling as you were saying that because I have, I have dear friends and, lay leaders just as you do and clergy friends who have just been with me forever and um the and just we love each other there's a there's a true bond not a trust not trust but one that's deeply rooted in love doesn't mean we all agree but i think we have figured out that we can love each other and care for each other in a way that rises beyond those differences and so i do and when I go to those little congregations with eight people, I know them. I can't wait to sit down and find out what's going on. And uh, maybe if there's a grandkid that I baptized or uh, somebody who's not there, I want to catch up. And, um, you know, I wonder if somebody's not there. I used to think this was an amazing thing. Bishop Quinn would go to a congregation and he'd like ask where people were. If oh, amazing. Them. And I've gotten to that, you know, after this is my 14th year and, five years as canon before that. So I've worked with these congregations now for close to 19, almost 20 years. And, um, you know, the, the truth is I, I'm like that. I want to know where so-and-so is. Where's Jim last week in Woodville? Where's Jim? Oh, he moved to Florida. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. He's finally retired. You know, so, you know, I've got to get, I got to get my local news and find out where folks are. And people ask me to pray for them. And, so th- I just have a really big parish of 72 plus thousand people. Well, you know, even as I was just asking, <laughs> I mean, the, crazy. asking the question, I was like, this is kind of a stupid question because he's been around there for a long time. But I love that you got to get to say that because I think that's like every bishop's dream is to be able to know their people the way that you do. And we're about to have a new, yeah, I mean, we're about to um, have a, the consecration of our new bishop here on Saturday, Daniel. And I, I can tell that's in his heart too. He wants yeah. to know those people, yeah. you know, um, but you know, it is, it must be different as a bishop in the fact of just like, you don't get to sit with them every single day, but you do get to see but, them a lot and yeah. you do get to know them a lot. Um, but Texas is a big old state. There's a lot of y'all. Um, yeah, but I'm just one small little, you know, country bishop sitting off in the little, little marshes. You need Bishop Ryan to keep things running. Yeah, Ryan. really. I need, need a lot of bishops. You need Bishop Jeff. Me. I need a, a beast, lot of people. A beast bone. I'm, I'm a little bit like, uh, um, 
Moses, you know, when I confirm, I've got to have people lift my hands up now. So well, I actually made a joke the other day. <laughs> we had we had a bunch of confirmations the other day, and about halfway through, I just like, oh my gosh, and I'm like, Moses, my hands, my hands, I need somebody to lift. And the two clergy like lifted. I'm like, I'm kidding, I'm not really. I don't need it. I'm not that old. I'm not that old. Come on, I was joking. What, what uh, you're talking about, great. Bishop, reminds so I went to Sam's celebration of new ministry last oh, week. Great. And, Good. and um Patrick, whom I know you love and care for very much, preached. Well, as you do with any of your friends that you've known since you were fifteen. Yeah. Patrick. He, oh he didn't spill, I know Patrick. Yes. We didn't, didn't get spill Patrick, any of Patrick on here. <laughs> but but what he preached about, you know, and I didn't know this, that like his grandmother, the um, the light above the ombre, I forget what it's called, um, is dedicated in her honor. Like, I didn't know that, like, that place raised him. And to hear those stories and to hear, like, Chuck's name brought up, Chuck Treadwell, a former rector there, like, kind of the history and the connection of that place, that's something that I think is a beautiful part of the Episcopal Church <laughs> because it's a really small church. And to hear that, like, we as rectors are stepping into, like, a stream that's already going ah, yeah. and we'll step out yeah. at some point, right? We did a funeral last week for people who haven't been connected to our church in 15 years. And they asked if my predecessor, the first rector could do it. And like almost wondering, like, would I get permission? Yeah. Oh. Frank can do, I would love for Frank to do that. Cause this isn't about me. This is about the community in which you've been formed and raised. And if there's a way that we can connect that community throughout the ages, well, I'm thinking about the importance of of how, I mean, just yes, and how the scripture has been preached there and taught there and lived out there. And, you know, the things that, that the three of us and everybody listening to this face are, they're, they're just the season of our time. And people have come before us and leaned on scripture and, and the Episcopal Church's case liturgy and hymns and you know that that um this rich rich part of our heritage is where people went for comfort i think so often today unfortunately we go social media for comfort and other places but there's you know the uh, scripture offers a a lot of comfort and daily reading of it brings insight and nuances that aren't noticed from Sunday to Sunday. And, um, but yeah, I mean, yes, we stand, but we stand as, as just markers in the road in this long movement stream river that flows towards the kingdom of God that we have tradition and, uh, scripture, uh, that guides us in that and that we do that uh, looking back at uh, those who came before and how they did things and yeah. perfect beautiful I mean can you believe it that our time is like basically up I mean this is how fast this goes um, Bishop Dahl thank I'm practically you, thank retired you, thank you. now I, mean, I know right yeah. like you got all these bishops around you you're yeah, good I don't today. do anything uh, really <laughs> I don't believe that. But what you did for us today was you really made me think about some things in a different way. And I really appreciate your approach to scripture. And I know that all our listeners will as well. Um, so I have a question for you. I'm ready. 
Will you come back to the Bible Love Podcast? Sure. Happy to. What's your least favorite book of the Bible? We'll make you come talk about that one. Um, I don't, I don't really. I love, love all the, the books just the same. I know. You I love really, them all. I mean, I think that Leviticus is is a trudge, and I find. Well, we've already done that one. We already, so yeah, I know don't that. worry about well, that. Well, I was thinking about, you know, like Proverbs is really hard because it's, it's you actually have to read it differently, I think. Um so, but I, but I would just say those are different. You go to those places, you know, wisdom, you go to those places for different things. And so, right. you know, um, so I think it's just to think that you have to read it all the same way as everything. But yeah, of course I'd come back. I'd talk about a book or a whatchamacallit or a something or a this or a that or yeah, whatever you'd like. Always happy to be invited. Thank you, Bishop Andy. We, oh. That's my time. <laughs> That's my timer. Thank you so much for being here. Um, We appreciate you so much. And listeners, we love you, but most importantly, God does.